In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen. Please be seated. Have you ever noticed that we live in a day and age where everybody wants everything to be fair? Now you might say, well, that's kind of always been in the background throughout our life, Pastor. It's not anything new, which is true. But it seems like anymore these days that it is ramped up more and more. Everything has to be fair. If you're gonna play on a baseball team, a football team, or a basketball team, there isn't just one team that gets the championship trophy. Everybody seems to get the trophy that says participant on it. We might look at things and say, well, yeah, it's good for things to be fair, so nobody is sort of left out. It's good for things to be fair because everybody needs to be positively reinforced with things in life. You and I might look at things today in your life and say, it's just not fair. It's just not fair that some people get coronavirus while others don't. It's just not fair that some people's marriages work out while other people's marriages do not work out. It's just not fair that some people live a long, happy, healthy life and others people, other people's lives are short and short-lived. There are countless things that we could talk about today with life not being fair. And I'm sure there were some of you today with the little kids up front here, when I told them that life is not fair, that you were probably saying, yes, way to go, pastor. Way to instill in them not to be disappointed in life. Way to tell them the truth that life is not fair. But deep down, deep in your heart and in your mind, that always lingers doesn't it? It really lingers in your heart and in your mind. I wish things would be fair. I wish things could be equal amongst us. I wish that I could get ahead in life. I wish I could be healthier. I wish that I did not have to face whatever it might be while somebody around me who seems to be living recklessly gets ahead and makes a better life in what they're living. Life is not fair. The only thing fair that we find in this life is sin. Our ability to rebel against God and to deeply pummel each other with our judgments, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. If anybody is guilty of making life not fair, it's you. And it's me. Because at the core of everything that happens in our life, we don't want to live on behalf of the benefit of our neighbors, as we hear about in Scripture. We don't want to live with the best interest of those around us in mind. We are the source and the reason that life is not fair. We are not the ones who are looking at somebody else and saying, friend, come up here higher. I want to help you with whatever it is that's going on in your life to make your life a little bit simpler or easier. And even if you are that generous, we look at those around us and say, they don't seem to appreciate all that I've done. Sin is the great equalizer amongst us. We are all sinful and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the other thing that is equal amongst us is death. Death has no, no likeness for us. Death has no gauge in terms of how many years you're going to live or how few of the years you're going to live, everybody, no matter how wealthy or how poor, is going to face death. The grave is staring wide open at you and me. 
We just announced this morning we lost another sister in Christ to death. That's the future for you. That's the future for me. The wages of sin is death. We all get equal payment for what we have done against God and against each other in thought, word, and deed. And so when we hear about something like the parable today of the master with the vineyard, we look at this and we say, well, this is really kind of weird. If Jesus was a businessman, his business would be bankrupt. I mean, we have a hard enough time debating today what a minimum wage should be. People who work at minimum wage have often cried out that they need more money. They're not being paid enough for their labor. It doesn't matter where you stand on this. In the end, people want the wages to be fair. If you put in the time, you should be adequately paid. After all, as 1 Timothy 5 says, a worker is worthy of his wages. So when we hear about Jesus today paying one who works 12 hours the same as one who works one hour, we get a little unsettled. We might say, well, this is nice because this is the kingdom of God. But our sinful nature clearly says, this is not right. One laborer works 12 hours, another works one hour, and when it's time for payroll, they all get the same wage. It's not fair. We would probably have a hard enough time noticing that the one who works one hour gets paid first. These were union workers, they'd be on strike. There would be collective bargaining, there would be shouts for equality on Twitter and Instagram. People would be told to boycott this vineyard, this winemaker, until the wages were paid out appropriately for the work. Makes sense. Life's got to be fair. The one thing that you have to remember about Jesus and his kingdom is exactly what he says at the very beginning. This is how the kingdom of heaven is like. Not the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of heaven. Last I checked, you and I have not been to the kingdom of heaven, nor can we truly understand the thoughts or the ways of God. They are higher, deeper, farther than any thoughts or ways that you and I understand. Jesus' parables are not to show us what we have to do for the kingdom of God or how we can change people's lives. Let me say that to you again. These parables are not too for us to show what we have to do for the kingdom of God or how we can change people's lives. Because in the end, you don't want to pay people the same. One hour, 12 hours, the only thing that we are good at paying equally is sin. Jesus is trying to show us how insanely unfair the kingdom of God is truly is. This business model that Jesus proposes would bankrupt any of our businesses today, and we would be guilty of unfair labor practices, but not in Jesus' kingdom, nor in his vineyard. We should expect the kingdom of heaven would be run like an actual kingdom, though, right? When we hear that, king, that idea of a kingdom, we think of slaves and workers and peasants Landlords, knights, and finally a king who pays out rightly for what each other deserves. I want you to take out that word kingdom, though, the next time you hear this, and exchange it for another word, family. 
the family of heaven. Yes, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to. But when he brings you into his kingdom, he brings you into his family. You are a beloved child of God. You are an heir of his inheritance in the kingdom of God. This whole kingdom talk is really about family. But it still has us asking, doesn't it? Doesn't he care about all the work getting done or not done? I mean, with this parable today, it doesn't seem like he's very worried about it. After all, why would he be calling people to come to work at the 11th hour when he knows full well they're not even going to get through the orientation video that takes an hour and they're going to get paid the same? That's the beauty about these texts. They make you uncomfortable. I thought church was supposed to be comfortable. No, sometimes it's not. Today is Septuagesima Sunday. There's not going to be a spelling test on that word. It marks 70 days. 70 days before we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Lent is 40 days long. And this is sort of the next three weeks where we actually get to prepare ourselves for Lent. Hey, Lent is bad enough, Pastor. Now we've got to be prepared for it? Yeah, we do. The church is always observed these days because we are the ones who are very much like the people of old. We are in exile. We are the ones who are strangers in this world, living still in the kingdom and the family of God. Essentially, what we've started today is to tell you to prepare for Lent. The time of Lent is a time of devotion and, 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 and uh, discipline. It's difficult. And in many ways, it's so counterculture. Ash Wednesday is March 2nd this year. Plan your Lenten discipline now. Christian Christians and Christianity traditionally take up an extra spiritual practice during these 40 days of Lent. This is commonly being characterized on Facebook and Instagram as I'm giving up chocolate or alcohol, which is fine if that's helpful for you. Christians have also traditionally fasted during Lent. That traditionally means you give up one meal for a day and giving what you would have spent on that meal to the poor or using it time as a time for prayer and meditation on the word of God. Others will give up cursing or overeating or some other vice only to have it taken up after the celebration of the resurrection. The point is not to give up something sinful that you've been meaning to do or to quit smoking or to finally lose weight. The point is discipline. And I know some of you will be very faithful in this. You'll come to all of our Lenten Wednesday services. You'll come to all of the services during Holy Week. You'll be here every time. You'll take our devotions that we have and read them every day. You'll pray more and more during the 40 days of Lent. But it's also worth noting here that Lent is not a time when the church gets to be sad, but a time when the church prepares for the celebration. Fasting and feasting must always go together. Lent is pretty much the most un-American thing you can do 
because we're just used to saying yes and having everything in abundance and everything being fair all the time. This is a time where we actually get to remember, to actually think that we have been called into the Lord's vineyard, where yes, life is hard. Sin and temptation are hard. Work is hard. But in the midst of all of this, you've been called to the vineyard. And what does any good vineyard do? They make wine. Wine is always a symbol and a sign of joy, of gladness, of celebration. There will be some of us during this Lenten season that will not show up for any of the Wednesday services. They may not even show up for any of the Holy Week or Easter services. April 15th is Good Friday, which is sort of an oxymoron in its own self. April 17th is Easter Sunday. There will be those who struggle to show up for all these services. There will be those three weeks after Easter to realize, oh my goodness, Easter has already happened. There will be some who will stumble across our Easter liturgy streaming on the internet weeks after it was first posted. And what will we say in the end in the midst of all of this? Where were they during Lent and Easter? How dare you come and receive these things now when it's too late? I can tell you as a pastor, those thoughts have often come up into my head and mind when you see people who are the C and E, the Christmas and Easter Christians. But I need to be slapped in the face every time I think that way. Because I have forgotten, just as you have, that everybody who's a part of this is a fellow family member. Members who have been called and adopted through the gift of holy baptism into this holy family, into the kingdom of heaven, which rewards us not because of what we are doing as good little faithful church workers and volunteers on boards and committees and whatever else it is, but because we are children. And our Father gives us what we need, not because of what we deserve, but because we are loved and because the work that Jesus has done for this kingdom is finished. There will always be those who are at the 11th hour. People who don't know what's going on or what to do. People who have too many questions. People who are begrudging the master of the house, even though he's called these very workers at the last time. One example that has ruffled a lot of people's feathers is the example of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know what he did? You know how terrible it was that he did what he did? But in one of the very last interviews he gave before he was killed in prison, he said that he had confessed his sins and had asked God for forgiveness. And he believed that the blood of Jesus Christ forgave all of his sins. Shortly after that interview, he was killed by fellow prison inmates. Where is he today, we might say? And that causes us to stop and think. He is one of those people at the 11th hour. He is one of those people that I simply say, I give thanks and praise to God that I will see, as will you, in the kingdom of heaven, in the family of heaven. And one of those things that we should take from this place today is how we approach those who are outside of this place 
and who we want in this place and maybe who we here in our heart of hearts think that we don't want in this place. Who is deserving of the wage? Who is deserving of being a part of the family of God? And maybe in our hearts and minds, who isn't? And how many times have we set up our walls, our hedges, our judgments against those around us that we look at and say, well, they surely are going to hell. That in our heart of hearts and our mind of minds, we think we are on the straight path to heaven. If you are like me and can't stand these people who come at the 11th hour, who don't know what's going on, be reminded, our reward does not come by what we have done. You know that, but it comes by the cross, where Jesus destroyed death forever, and where he says, because of this cross, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Perhaps the joy of being last in line is seeing the wonder of those who are called most recently, receiving the same gifts we have known for so long. For me, sure. Yes, for you as well. I pray so. Joy in finding new brothers and new sisters. I have seen this joy throughout my years as a pastor, and I hope that you see it as well as we continue to call for others to come into this family of God to repent of sins, to call out to God for forgiveness, and so that we also may walk alongside with them to bear their burdens, their temptations, and to most of all call them brothers and sisters in Christ, heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Because in the end, no matter what you have done or left undone, no matter what you and I are facing in life, we are all seated around the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. We're seated at a foretaste of the party that is to come, the feast that has been prepared for you and for me that has no end, where the last shall be first and the first shall be last, but all brothers and sisters in Christ will be seated at the table as we drink the wine of joy and gladness that never ends. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.